Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're gonna talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing, And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and you all know that I love talking to different kinds of writers and hearing their stories, how they got started, how they got published, their process, and all about their work. And I have a really fun guest for you today. Tyler Schwanke just released his first novel, a high story about a female filmmaker assembling a team to get back the movie that the head of her school stole from her. Sounds really fun, right? I really loved this conversation. We dug into Tyler's background as a filmmaker and how that's influenced his writing. We talked about his road to getting an agent and a book deal, how he uses snippets from his film education to really make his characters stand out. He's got some great stories and great writing advice in here, and you really don't want to miss it. So here's a little more about him. Tyler's a writer and a filmmaker. He holds an MFA from Hamline University, and his short stories have been widely published in online journals and literary magazines. He's also a graduate of the New York Film Academy and Minnesota State University Moorhead, where he was awarded a Minnesota Film and TV grant. Several of his award-winning short films have played at festivals across the country. He lives in Minneapolis with his wife and their dog, and Breaking In is his debut novel. I hope you enjoy our talk. I really did. So let's get right into it. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So tell us about yourself and your work, and you just published your first novel. Tell us about that. I did, yeah. So I've been writing fiction for about 12 years now. Um, my background was in filmmaking. That's what I what I did in college. Uh, you know, tried to make the transition uh, into production. And, uh, you know, after about six months of living in my parents' basement and getting paid and, you know, free lunch and, and credits. I, uh, you know, quote unquote, got a, got a, a real job, right. A day job. Um, and to kind of, you know, continue my creative outlet, uh, I made the transition over to, to novels. 
Um, which, you know, <laughs> was kind of interesting going from not having written a short story to all of a sudden I decided to, to make the venture and, and write a full length novel. Um, and it was okay. Um, <laughs> it wasn't great. You know, it was more of like a learning experience. Um, and then I wrote another one and then I wrote breaking in, which is my debut came out, uh, this past May. So about four months ago from Blackstone publishing, uh, that one is good. I am happy to say I am very, very pleased with it, but, um, yeah, so really in, this is a novel that incorporates a lot about, uh, kind of my background. It's about a filmmaker, uh, from the Midwest goes to a film school in New York, which is what I did when I did a year at the New York Film Academy. I graduated college um, with my degrees in creative writing and then film production. Um, and so she goes to this film school uh, in New York and to take part in this, um, this film camp uh, that has a competition where you submit a feature-length script and a, you create about a 10-minute short film uh, based upon that script, and you submit it for competition. The winner uh, wins uh, half a million dollars to take that feature-length script and then to uh, shoot a feature. And right before, about three weeks, four weeks before uh, the competition is over, the school shuts down because Ricky O'Nare, who is the, like the, the famous uh, Hollywood director, producer that runs it, that runs the school, um, he's arrested for fraudulent charges. And so Millie uh, Blumquist is our, is our hero. She goes back to Fargo, uh, North Dakota, you know, head in hand. And seven months later, she's watching a movie, uh, the upcoming movie attractions. She looks up and she sees a preview for which is undoubtedly uh, her movie. It's her script. It's directed and written, quote unquote, by Ricky O'Neill, the guy who ran the film school. So he's stolen her script and has made uh, the movie himself to be his Hollywood comeback. And the way that the school set up, she he can do this and not give her any credit. But for his reputation, for his ego, he gives her twenty thousand dollars in hush money. And instead of hushing, she takes that twenty thousand and recruits her. Uh, film crew and turns them into a heist crew. Uh, the script I should have mentioned is a, is a heist script. So uh, Millie has uh, more than your your average person's uh, knowledge when it comes to everything there is to know about heist films. She's watched and documented over 150 of them. Uh, so she takes her film crew, turns them into a heist crew, and then they plan to steal the movie three days before uh, the big premiere. So just incorporates a lot of things that that I enjoy about writing and 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 reading as well, um, and also you know I think one of the things that I really wanted to shoot for is um, you know I would love to have made this into a movie just where I was it, it you know it turned into a novel I think it's very cinematic um, but there's always kind of um, for a filmmaker's first movie, a lot of times they'll go into horror movies, right? Because there's like a built-in audience. Um, but what people don't talk about as much is actually a, a good amount of directors got their start by making heist movies. Uh, Guy Ritchie um, did Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Quentin Tarantino did Reservoir Dogs. Even Wes Anderson, he did Bottle Rockets. You know, when you think about how quirky he is, you don't think of him in that kind of heist genre, but he did his own spin as well. And a lot of that is because, same thing with horror films, there is that built-in audience, the kind of expectations. Um, so that was a lot of fun for me to 
kind of work in this narrative structure with these tropes and then kind of, you know, pull them apart and then, you know, reorganize and replace them and kind of have some fun with it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you have hopes that, I mean, so many things are getting turned into so many books, I should say, Mm -hmm. and series are getting turned into movies and TV shows. Do you see that in your book's future? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, again, kind of when, when I'm creating a book and when I'm, you know, putting the, the structure together, um, when I do my outline, my character bios, everything is very visual for me. So not only am I asking, you know, what's, what are these characters' backgrounds? What are things are they, you know, really proud of? What are they embarrassed about? What are their hopes? How do they see themselves? How do others see themselves? But, you know, what do they physically look like? What's their mannerisms? What's their characteristics? So I go online and I look up, you know, actors and, and different people that I think these characters would look like and print a whole bunch of stuff and cut and paste and scrape into a notebook. And, you know, for me, that helps me visually see see the the characters. If anybody else found that, it would be really weird because they would see you know, like a bunch of different eyes and lips uh, <laughs> glued onto the paper. I might have to explain myself. But, um, you know, and then I also, um, I create a movie poster, uh, hence book cover. I'm a terrible, terrible drawer. Nobody but me and my wife will ever see what these look like. But this just, this just helps me kind of get into the mindset of, of what this is going to look like. And when I you know, start writing and I'm looking at my scenes, I'm looking at them the same way that, you know, a movie director and a cinematographer would. What are the elements from a visual standpoint, right? What what are the colors represent? How close are we going to get, you know, kind of in that way of where a director, you know, which lens is he going to use? Are we up close? Is it going to be a wide establishing shot? Authors can do the same thing by, you know, their decisions, you know, if they're in a, you know, automatically inside a character's head, if they're setting the scene, um, you know, and how they're quote unquote moving the camera. I think a lot of times why today's audience and, and reader is, you know, really kind of familiar with that and, and you're able to kind of go in and out of a character's head and kind of play around with those different lenses, if you will. I love that. And I, I will tell you, I don't have a notebook, but I do have, so I use Scrivener to write my novels mm-hmm. and I do have, um, pictures of actors sure. in my little character notes section, just to kind of have, like you said, a kind of a guidepost, right? Not that you're describing them exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to kind of note features and think about different ways to describe someone's hair or cheekbone, you know, right. Cause it, some of the stuff can be so, especially in your first draft, you're like, they have high cheekbones, right? So it's yeah. just another way to really start thinking about, you know, how to get deeper into that description, which sometimes I kind of struggle with on my first draft and then have to really go back and layer in. Yeah. Well, I do too. I think even, even with the images or, and sometimes, you know, you'll bits and pieces, right. From different actors and actresses on, on what the character might look like. But if you ever stop to like put them together, you'd be like, this is a really odd <laughs> looking person. <laughs> like everything, like this doesn't match at all. But, um, it's visually interesting, right. To, to at least write about and to, and, and, and again, like you had mentioned, you know, it's not an exact copy. I'm not going to, you know, take, um, I thought, what's her name? I think her name is Catherine Newton. She played, uh, Paul Rudd's daughter on the latest Ant-Man movie, but she was in, uh, like freaky. She was in that Pikachu movie. She's uh, a very, very talented actress. And I think that, uh, Millie Blomquist, my, my uh, protagonist would look somewhat like her, but at the same time, I didn't want to copy her exactly. Right. I didn't want, you know, people to think, to only think that, you know, I want, 
you want to give enough information where people can understand, you know, the difference between your characters, but then allow them to create those characters for you to kind of do the heavy lifting. Because, you know, I think if you give too much description, if you go into everything, you know, too often, they're going to be too concerned with, okay, well, how does, how does that, you know, what does that mean? (laughs) What what kind of eyebrows? And you really, you don't want them focusing on eyebrows. You want them focusing on the motivation and the story. So, but yeah, it definitely does help to kind of, you know, piece that together. And especially in the first draft, like you were saying, you'll go back and work on it later. First draft, you're just, it's kind of just what I call word throw up, right? It's just everything, you know, you're just putting it all on paper and then later on you're going to read it and find out where is my story? What are my themes? What are my characters and go from there? Yeah. It's definitely important to leave some, something to your reader's imagination for sure. I mean, I think that was my problem with, um, I don't know if you read the Jack Reacher series, but when they Mm -hmm. made the first movie with Tom Cruise, I couldn't even like, I'm like, that is not Jack Reacher. Well, and a lot of people thought that too. Right. And I, I I think I had read like one prior to watching the, the Tom Cruise version. And so for me, it didn't take me out of it, but I remember like seeing, uh, talking with my mom, like a couple months later, like, I don't know, Thanksgiving or something. Right. And she was just like, Oh, I couldn't do it. I just, cause yeah. she reads a lot of the show. We just, you know, absolutely took her out of it. Um, so, and then I had read more since then and it was like, Oh yeah, no, this, this guy's way too short. So I was excited yeah. by the, um, the series is really good. Like I think yeah. they got his, his demeanor and his obviously the, the build, you know, right. But just overall the, the character. But when you, we do take those two, you know, it's interesting to think that like, that Lee Child signed off on Tom Cruise. Like yeah. on one hand, you're like, this looks nothing like my character. But on the second hand, well, it's Tom Cruise. And like, there's a, there's an audience there, you know, it's going to, he elevates everything. Right. So, you know, his movies do well, but you know, he has like, um, Christopher McQuarrie is his like, basically his like producing partner. He does all the mission, mission impossible movies. Now he didn't direct Top Gun, but he re- helped write the script. And I think he wrote the script for Jack Reacher, the first one, at least. So, you've got a lot of talent there, right? So you're just like, well, can I let the six inches height difference go, <laughs> you know, and just kind of get yeah. over it and, and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, that definitely was a, an interesting casting choice for sure. I remember hearing Lee Child talk about it. So right after that all happened, he was um, making the rounds as a guest of honor at a bunch of conferences. And he talked a lot about it because it was kind of the elephant in the room, you know, and mm-hmm. he was basically like, look, I wrote the books. I sold the rights to the movie and I had to let it go and let them do, you know, kind of what they were going to do with it. And I'm pretty sure you had a nice laugh all the way to the bank with that one. So, you know, yeah. who could blame the guy, right? <laughs> right. Well, and you know, like, so, cause I do get this question a lot about, you know, if I want to see my book made into a movie and, and I would love to, for me though. And I think this is maybe a little bit different than what other authors, you know, a lot of times you hear, the author get upset. Well, that was too different from my book, you know, and, and, and the audience too gets that way. And I almost wonder like, but I've already told this story. So it'd be yeah. interesting for me to like, you know, see somebody else put like their spin on it, yeah. you know? And one thing that the book, you know, talks about, and I don't dive in, you know, hundred percent because it's not my story to tell, but really one of the themes about this is it's about a, um, it's about a woman trying to make it in Hollywood and a, you know, older white male steals her script, mm-hmm. takes all the credit and basically shushes her away, you know, and she doesn't go quietly. She doesn't do what, what he wants, you know? And so I would love to like, I think it'd be really great if this was a main movie 
to have a like a first time feature director, you know, uh, female because that's yeah. what that's what Millie would be, and I think that would just add a whole another kind of dimension uh, and layer to the story, you know that that you know I address, I talk about, but I think from a you know a creative standpoint. That would be really interesting for me just to kind of be able to sit back and see where they take it, right? What they elevate it to, um, you know, different things like that, I think would be really interesting and, and would, you know, um, support the story. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, people do get fixated on, like, is it exactly like the book? Because, you know, I've always said books are often better than movies, with a few exceptions, mm-hmm. right? I think definitely Mystic River is an exception to that rule, for sure. Sure. Um, that was just as good of a movie as a book. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a cool idea to think about what the other possibilities are for the next phase of the story. Yeah, and, like, you know, when I watched um, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo... I had just finished that book uh, like three months ago. So it was really fresh in my mind. So, and David Fincher is, you know, he's, he's, he's amazing, no doubt. But I remember thinking like, this is just like a scene, like it was almost scene for scene, like, you know, and it took some of the elements of surprise out of it, you know, that you feel when you're reading the book. And I almost want, when you have that caliber of talent, I almost want to be like, it's okay to like, you know, in the first act, do something radically different. Cause in that kind of sense, you know, sets the expectation, like this isn't what you think it is. It's not going to be just a shot, you know, shot, you know, a uh, remake of, uh, or adaptation of, of the story. Yeah. You do face a lot of, um, you know, backlash if it's not exact, especially if it doesn't work out, right. You try something different and they're like, Oh, that was way worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you run that risk, but you know, I don't know. I just think overall a lot, you know, with, with, we have this kind of formula now with, you know, the Marvel movies and, you know, Disney bringing back Indiana Jones and obviously audio, you know, and, and those movies are not making a lot at the box office as, as they once were. And I think audiences are just getting kind of maybe a little sick of formula or, yeah. you know, uh, they want a little bit of, you know, surprise. Um, yeah. I think you can have that nostalgic factor and, you know, there definitely is a kind of a nostalgia built in audience when you adapt a book into a movie, right? You know, there's a fan base there already. So you want to serve them, but I think we do too much fan service just as a whole that we're really, um, what's the word? Uh, sacrificing, you know, storytelling, um, yeah. to, to pandering, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I would, I think it'd be really interesting. I would love that from, from my perspective, just to see more, big books like you know take take some big swings you know you've got you've got especially when you have you know such great talent behind the the camera so you know going back you know then i think like probably six seven years later i watched girl with the dragon tattoo i you know didn't remember much of the book so you know it's an i enjoy the movie more so you kind of run that gamut too same with gone girl my wife and i just watched that like a month ago and Mm. oh that holds up it's so it's it's such a good satire on like the media and and I just, yeah, it, it, it gets better with age. Sadly, it gets yeah. better with age, right? How, how our media is constructed. But um, again, not a lot of big swings from from the book, you know? And, and then once again, that was Fincher. I feel like I'm picking on him. Um, <laughs> guys, the guy's amazing. So um, you know, he doesn't obviously need kudos for me, but I think it'd be interesting to, to see more adaptations that, that weren't so uh, true to the page. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why I prefer series, like books being 
translated into series more so than yeah. an actual movie, right? Because I think you, the longer the series goes on, the more room you have to play. Even if you're taking a book and kind of making the series out of it, I feel like there is more room for um, flexibility and just taking it maybe a little bit somewhere different than than the book took it. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, like I'm thinking that reminds me of like Game of Thrones, right? Where, you know, it got to the point where the series was past the books. Now, I've yeah. never read the books. I, I, I don't do well with reading fantasy. Um, so I've never read, you know, yeah, yeah I just, I, I, <laughs> my mind just goes blank. I don't know what it is. And it's, it's, it's nothing to the, to the authors. And, you know, I've, I've read, um, I don't like to, to, to name people to say I, I didn't enjoy their books, but I've read some authors where like I've absolutely like loved, adored their, some of their books, and then they write a fantasy, and I'm just like I have no like I just get so lost and so yeah. uninvested and just anyway it doesn't sit with me. But I love Game of Thrones, um, so I, for me I had no idea when like we were off book, you know, and when it was going on. I think also when, with the series, you know, a lot of times they'll take elements out of books and yeah. um, kind of incorporate them. I, I haven't read the books, but I know like. Like uh, Big Sky, that ABC show from the CJ uh, Box, um, different books. They took different elements uh, from his books. And then uh, what's the one I'm watching now? The Lincoln Lawyer. Um, mm, yeah. On Netflix, right? So I've read I read all of all of those books. Uh, it's been a while, but I know that like this series was taken from The Fifth Witness, but I know that they deviated a lot too. Yeah. And I think that's that's great, right? Is is you're taking the spirit of the book, but then like you said, you, you know, you got to make ten episodes or however many, so you're able to to deviate and also. I think a lot of times with shows, they kind of do their own world building. You know, they take yeah. elements from the books, especially if there's a, kind of a canon of books, but they also do their own thing. And that's, I think, you know, is, is what's interesting. It also helps um, continue on, right, for, for more than one season. Yeah. And like you mentioned, The Lincoln Lawyer, I'm thinking of Bosch, the, you know, the other yeah. series by Michael Connolly. And it's been a while since I read those early Bosch books and just seeing some of them brought back to life and kind of remembering the storyline, but also it, it was like experiencing them in a totally different way. Right. And now I've got even, I feel like I love Titus Welliver. I feel like yes. he just brought a whole new Bosch to, to life in my mind. And I just, yeah. I love him more than ever. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right. Well, switching gears, I want to ask about your female protagonist. Was it hard for you to write a woman's point of view? No. Um, I would say, uh, <laughs> what's the best way to say it? You know, I think for me, it's um, whether a, a character is male, female, you know, whatever race, it really just comes down to um, their place, right? What's their setting? And what's their character? So how does that clash, right? If you have someone that is, so for Millie, she has big dreams. She wants to be, um, you know, a Hollywood director. She wants to uh, venture out. She wants to make this movie um, kind of as dedication to her father, uh, who died in a bank heist a couple years earlier. And show that he was more than just, you know, a, a thief, that he had his reasons for participating in this in this heist and that was to you know get money for for millie and and their mom and her mom um so for me i just take a you know i just think about okay so who is millie what's her motivation and then what is she you know what's the setting what are her roadblocks you know um her obstacles and then and then go from there and for me i i think i don't know i 
very lucky, and but also like most men in, in, in America, have been surrounded by very powerful women. Um, my mom, I have two sisters, my wife. Um, so for me, it was wasn't that that difficult of a stretch to you know just kind of write from that point of view and to just kind of see okay, what's you know because I went to film school, I know what the challenges are of getting. Um, you know, being able to, to make it out of that industry or, you know, a lot of that's very similar to, to making a publishing as well, but there's an extra layer that's added, right. When it comes to, to females, especially breaking in any industry, yeah. uh, let alone Hollywood. So for me, that just added another layer of, um, complications, you know, for Millie to, to overcome because, but also for her to, used to her advantage right is is okay people kind of under underestimate her um simply because of where she's from and because she's a female so she you know sometimes kind of plays into that and takes that to her advantage when she takes the hush money from ricky you know and and says okay um you know i won't say anything i won't do anything and she keeps that promise she doesn't go to the media she doesn't do anything like that but she you know said takes the money and and uh plans her own her own heist and that's you know without giving too much away about the story you know really because it's after the heist is is pulled off that's about kind of the the middle of the book ricky really realizes oh my god i did underestimate her on on her capabilities and he had always and he had underestimated her because of her age she's female but also because of just what you know what he thought she was as a filmmaker and you know without her really having a chance to kind of prove herself so instead of there's a very theatrical component uh to the heist and, and where they steal the movie back um and so she's able to put all of her teachings and learnings that she learned at the academy into play there. So that that wakes him up to like, oh, oh shoot, <laughs> I, I underestimated this woman on every single level, and this is what happened. So um, you know, for me, that was it was it was fun to be able to kind of play with that, and and you know, have and it was it was fun to see when when millie was able to become victorious you know in, in, in certain aspects not everything goes to plan i don't want to you know like i said it's the middle of the book there's a lot of complications that that's still to happen but um yeah it was just it was fun to to write about her and to write from her point of view oh, i love that and i love how it definitely sounds i mean obviously it you know you're you have such an extensive background in filmmaking but it definitely sounds like your your filmmaking and your writing backgrounds kind of almost blur together and complement each other. Can you talk about that? Like how they each influence each other? Yeah. So I was thinking about this a couple months ago um, when I had my, like my first book events and just like how I got started. And, you know, for me, so I wanted to make, to make movies. And so I went to uh, the New York film Academy. It's a, you know, at the time it was a one year program. I think they have two year programs now and you can actually get your bachelor's. But it was no, I didn't get any college credit for it. And I was in a college program at the time, but me and me and a friend were like, let's go there. Let's make movies. You know, the whole idea is they put a camera in, in your hands on like the first day, right. And teach you how to go use it. Where like, you know, big, big schools like NYU, you don't touch a camera for two years because it's all theory and stuff. So, you know, week one, we're shooting stuff. It's out of focus. It's not lit well. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a lot of learning on the technical components. But really, it was in the editing process where you like learn 
you learn what you don't have first, right? Like, okay, I've got this and this and this, and I should have, I needed my close-ups, I needed my insert shots, I needed an establishing shot, whatever. So through that, over the years, finished that program, and then I did go back and finish my bachelor's in film production. But so my, you know, experience, through my experience, I learned kind of what I need to tell a story visually and what I need, what moments I need from characters for the audience to understand them, to empathize with them, to root for them. And sometimes that can be achieved by dialogue or it can be achieved by the actor, right? Where you're placing the camera on them, you know, how they're reacting, right? Act, you know, they always say acting is reacting. And so making sure you have those moments. Um, so for me, it was, you know, shoot a bunch of footage and then go into the, go into editing, you know, sit there, piece it all together, piece the story together and kind of find out what it was. And sometimes it'd be, it'd be different than what I had storyboarded, right? Or I had written, uh, sometimes good, sometimes worse, but you know, that's kind of how I learned storytelling was through the visual medium. So then I decided to write a novel and honestly, really, like, I, not even a short story or anything like that. I was like, I can just write a novel. <laughs> so, but you know what? Short stories, I think, are kind of harder than novels anyway. But that's well, a whole I, other conversation. I think, I think so, too. <laughs> well, I would later find out that I don't really care for writing short stories because, yeah, I think there's just you don't get time to really probably build up the characters or I, some people can. I really can't. I don't know. Um, I, I do have short stories out there and I'm proud of them, but I definitely enjoy novels so much more. Um but so when I, you know, made the transition over, I was like, okay, how do I even start? So then I had read a quote somewhere. I don't know if I can swear in here, so I won't. But, you of know, the first, you okay, ahead, so the first, you know, that Ernest Hemingway quote, first chapter of everything is shit, right? So I just took that as like, as like Bible, like, okay, yeah. it doesn't matter what you're putting on the page as long as you're putting something on the page. Yeah. And then, so let's just see what this is like. Let's see what happens. And I think for my first book, I kind of had an outline, but you know, maybe some scenes here and there, but, but not a lot. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And then at some point, I think the final was like 120,000 words around there, something like that. And it's like, okay. And I thought I was done at that point. I was like, cool, I did it, you know? <laughs> and then it was like, I think I had somebody read it or maybe I took some time off. I think I read Stephen King's on writing and, you know, he says to take like 30 days off and read from a fresh perspective, fresh eyes. So I did that and I was like, oh, this is garbage. This is really not good. <laughs> um, you know, and just like the sentence structure, my, you know, just even from a, you know, the, the syntax perspective, it was just like, Oh, it was embarrassing. It was like a toddler wrote it, but I wrote it right. It was something on the page. So then I think that's when my filmmaking background really kicked in because what I did was I, I, I took, I took this book and I divided it up on the chapters and I literally set them on the floor in my basement. Right. So I could look at all of them. And then I put like little note cards or, um, sticky notes, you know, on them, like, this is what this scene and this is what that scene is. And then just kind of looked at it from like a, you know, a bird's eye POV said, okay, this is all the stuff that you have. Make a comprehensible story out of this, move things around, right? Change it, re-edit this scene, take out this scene, you know, the best thing, my favorite part um, about the editing process is deleting pages, is taking yeah. scenes out. Absolutely. You know, they always say like, what about, you know, the whole kill your darling thing? Does it hurt? 
No, it doesn't hurt. It's great because it totally improves your story, helps with the pacing, takes out the junk that's just keeping your reader from getting into it. So I've never had an issue with that. Um, but yeah, so you take you know this kind of bird's eye POV and you look at everything and you you re reposition it almost like you would on an editing timeline, right? With your different scenes, and then you build them up again, and then you you know read the whole thing, see what you know. It's better. It's not there, but it's better. And then, you know, from that, you do it a couple more times. You have people, um, you know, beta readers, which is like your test audience, you know. I never really understood or maybe i understood but i didn't like the idea of when you always hear about these big movies right doing like test screenings and then like making changes based upon the audience i'd be like that's such a sellout like you're making your movie just do what you want and then after i wrote my first novel i was like oh you do that because it might be just like shit (laughs) like you might think of something like it's really great like nobody is feeling it and you know it's kind of um again this comes from on writing but if you have you know, five people read your book and, you know, let's say two or three. So let's do six people because uh, the math works better. If three people say this, you know, something works, three people say it doesn't, right? The tie goes to the writer. I get to make that call. Yeah. Five people say it's garbage and one person likes it, it's probably garbage or at least it needs to be looked at, you know, it needs to be really evaluated. So um, I now understand why, why, uh, production companies that spend $200 million on a movie might do a test screening once, once or twice to, <laughs> to see if people actually like it before putting it out into the world. So, um, but yeah, that's really kind of where my, um, my storytelling, you know, came from, um, or at least from the perspective of a filmmaking to, you know, the structure and how to build up. And then again, filmmaking plays a role into my, um, storytelling. I'm a, I'm a very visual writer. Yeah. So um, the first section actually of breaking in um, is a, a you have a character you don't know his name you just know he's dressed in a fedora and a trench coat he has just you know from what he's carrying a, a bag that he's holding close to his chest he's looking for police so he's stolen something you don't know what he runs to a dark alley right he's he's bathed in neon from a, a nearby diner sign. He places the bag on the ground with a shaky hand. He unzips it. You know, he's expecting something and it's not what he thought it was. And, you know, you later, you, you find out that this is actually not the, not the story story. This is a scene in the movie that Millie is filming. So we pull back, right? So, and that's kind of storytelling is throughout the entire book. But, you know, that's an objective POV at the beginning where you don't get any, you don't get the character's internal thoughts um, you know, you get kind of the, the, the narrator's perspective and later you learn the narrator is Millie. She's watching this, you know, through her, her video finder, uh, as it's being filmed. But I think just a lot of that kind of, um, you know, the, uh, the colors and, uh, kind of how I'm setting the scene, um, and what I'm focusing on, you know, really kind of has a cinematic quality. And that's what I kind of learned, you know, through getting my MFA is, Kind of, you know, from a production standpoint, so when you're making a movie, you do like an insert shot, right? Or you're, you're, you know, choosing a particular piece of clothing, you know, for a character because it says something about who they are, right? If it's something they got from a thrift store and it's threadbare, okay, this is something that doesn't come, you know, from a economically secure background. If it's, you know, she's carrying a, a Cartier purse and or he has a Rolex watch, okay, this is somebody that, that you know, essentially is, is pretty wealthy. 
And so those are like little things that you add in your story, right? As opposed to, you know, just, it made me realize that the details matter, you know, and being specific um, because you can tell a lot about the characters either for the reader to determine, or if you're through the POV of another character, how they view that person, right? How they view, okay, he's got a, you know, a, a Rolex watch, you know, does that make that person stuck up or does that make that person, you know, somebody like, okay, he comes from the same kind of background I do. Um, and I think a lot of that just, you know, is when you make choices, when you're making, you know, student films, films in general, you know, how you're dressing a character, how you're setting your stage and all of that. Yeah. It's kind of that, it's that show don't tell thing you always hear about, you know, people mm-hmm. when we teach writing, it's, um, people always ask me like, how, you know, how do you, but how do you do that? Right. And it's, it can be kind of hard to explain, but I love tying it back to that whole filmmaking and the visual mm-hmm. aspect. And the, I like to think of it in the senses. Like if you feel like you're not describing something well, just kind of stop and think through all the senses and what's happening yeah. around that person at that time. And, and that can definitely make it so you're not just relaying a set of facts absolutely and i will agree like it's hard to explain show don't tell it took me like two years to figure out what that was like what that first book that you know nothing i remember i would get feedback from agency i can't represent you you know some of this is you know here's some some feedback and you know certain sections you want show don't tell and i was like does that like literally mean that like the characters shouldn't tell them what they want? Like it was just, there's yeah. all these different interpretations and yeah. you, you know, and stuff. And um, yeah, it, it, it took a long time to, to really kind of figure out, you know, okay, just, just have the character see everything, you know, or just have them, you know, don't, don't explain anything, just have them experience it. And then that's, yeah. you know, what's, and then the reader will experience it at the same time. And then, you know, and then once you get good at that and you understand the, how those rules work, then you can tweak them a little bit. You know, you can bend them a little bit to, to you know, it's, it, what you want the reader to feel. But, you know, I definitely 100% agree with, you know, you have to know the rules before you can break them because otherwise it, it's just it's not going to connect with a reader and, and, and it's not going to achieve the, you know, the objective that you're hoping to, to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned agents, which I love. This is a segue. So let's talk about agents and publishing and this whole crazy business. How did you get your agent? How did you get your publisher? Like, tell us about that. Sure. So for me, I, um, so with the first two books, long process, right. Going on Twitter, Googling agents, all that stuff. I had my spreadsheets, you know, I would do, uh, 10 submissions at a time, writing a query letter, rewriting my query letter, by the way, career letters are the worst thing in the world to write. Oh my God. 100%. I still hate those more than anything they else I ever wrote. 100%. So what I do now, <laughs> I started this as breaking in and any book that I do now is, um, so I don't know if you know the, the save the cat series. Yeah. So they have, um, how to, how to write a log line, you know, how to write like a short one, how to write like a synopsis. So I take that log line and I write that and I have a note card on my board, on my you know outline board. And so that's what my story is. So I know what my story is and what that log line is before I write a single thing. So I don't ever have to worry about writing a query letter. Now I'm an agent, so I don't have to worry about that so much, but it also helps me when I'm writing in the middle of writing, let's see if I feel like I'm getting off track. I'd be like, okay, what is my story about? And I read that log line. I'm like, this is what it's about. You know? Okay. So you do that first before you do anything else. 
Well, I do that with my outline, but okay. I mean, I have to outline too, right? But once I have the outline, then I write them. So what I mean before I write like any chapters or anything okay. like that, yep, that's part of my, <laughs> I call it pre-production. There's mm-hmm. something from, you know, kind of movie background, but so, you know, it's, it's uh, character bios, what they look like, outline, and then my log line. Which, you know, like I said, I have that on a note card. It's in the corner, so I can always look at it. So, um, mainly just because I always hated writing those query letters. Absolutely. So, um, so I wrote two books, was unable to find an agent, got close a couple times, got some feedback, you know, did major rewrites, only to be told no again. Um, good experience. I think, you know, I, I, people ask me like, would you want to publish those, those first two novels? No, I, I don't, I don't want to do anything with them. I think they were really great learning for me. They learned, um, you know, I had to pay my dues, how to get into this business. Literally, I think over 200 submissions to agents between the two of them. So it was a lot, but that's okay. You know, um, those two books taught me how to write a novel. Um, and so for that, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, so when the third one, um, I finished breaking in, I had uh, a good friend of mine now, but his name, so his name is Robert Kerbeck. Uh, he's a nonfiction writer. He's got a book out right now called Ruse, uh, Making in a Wall Street, something like that. It's about his time as um, as an actor on, uh, he was like a headhunter type thing, corporate spy. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Robert. I totally messed up your log line, buddy, but <laughs> it's a really fun book. Um about where he like worked in New York in the eighties and um, this a corporate spy, but at the same time he was like making fitness videos with OJ Simpson. And he was like in a music video directed by David Fincher full circle there. <laughs> um, so anyway, but he rented my house uh, for the Super Bowl. for, this is in 2018 when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis. Um, and so, you know, Airbnb, I was like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to get in on this. So he rented it for two days and it just worked out. We were both writers. And this was before I had an agent. And, you know, one of the nights, I think the night before the Super Bowl, poor guy kept him up to like two in the morning. We were talking about writing and really hitting it off. And he told me about this company that he used called Writer's Relief. And he said that's what he he was having a lot of success with short stories. And he would basically, it's like a service, it's like an agency service that I don't remember what he paid, but they would give him leads on different magazines and publishers that would be interested in his short stories. And he said they have the same thing for an agent. And I was like, okay, well, I'll look into this. So when Breaking In was was ready for submission, I went on there. It was like 150 bucks. I filled out this like form basically saying, this is what my book is about. This is who I am as an author. This is you know the genres, all this stuff. It was, it was pretty in-depth. And then I think like... A week later, two weeks later, they sent me a spreadsheet with like 30 uh, names of agents, how to contact them and what they looked for in a submission, right? First chapter, first three chapters, whatever. So they did a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Now, I still had to do the submissions. You know, don't ever, you know, they say don't ever pay an agent to read your stuff. And that's totally true. Don't ever do that. But you can't pay a service to give you names. (laughs) So that's what I did. Um, I sent out, I want to say it was like 30 and I got an email back after like two weeks from, um, an agent, uh, out of, out of WordLink uh, incorporated, which is my agency. And he, um, his name is Dean and Dean said, I'm not taking on new agents or new clients right now, which my first thought was like, damn you writer's relief. 
why'd you give me his name? I, I want 10 bucks back. Um, <laughs> but he said, you know, but I have a new agent who's just started, you know, he's been with us for a short time. He's building up his, his client list. I think this is exactly, it would be right up his alley. You know, if you're okay, I'd like to connect you too. So I said, sure, of course. So Chip Rice, that's my agent, introduced himself. Um, he, you know, um, requested the full, and within a week, I had an offer for a representation. Awesome. So, awesome. so cool, right? Especially yeah. like I was mentally preparing myself for a year of rejections and all this stuff. So I reached out, you know, I, I did my due diligence. I reached out to a couple of the agents that I had sent to, and um, I got a couple. Um, um, you know, polite, no thank yous. A couple people were interested, but they wanted more time. And then one other person did make an offer. Um, but at the end of the day, I went with Chip because, um, because he was a newer agent. And a uh, writing professor of mine had told me this story that she had finished a novel and she was working with like a top agent out of New York. And she said that that agent sent her book to five publishers. The five said no. And then she uh, shelved the book. She said, I can't sell this. And that was it, right? She didn't have time. She wasn't going to put in all the effort to, to go to other people. So, you know, I'd heard from her and a couple other people, like when you have someone that's new, they're, they're just like you, they're trying to prove themselves. And that's how Chip sold himself as well. Like, you know, yes, I am. I, I don't have, you know, a, a big client list. I don't have a whole lot of contacts, but I have resources here in the agency. I'm doing this full time, you know, I'm driven. And I thought, well, he's never sold a book before, but neither have I. So let's do it. You know, let's, yeah. let's go for it. So, um, Signed up with them, I think October 2019. And then I think you all know where I'm going with this. So 2019, <laughs> right? COVID hits, you know, right as we're in our submission process. So everything gets, you know, completely yeah. um, paused, you know, for eight, nine months. Um, we regrouped um, towards the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, started sending out again. Um, and we, we were getting some bites. We had a really big publisher that asked for a kind of a minor rewrite. Um, and they, you know, would consider it. And, and I did it. And we never heard from them again. And, you know, that's uh, just kind of how it goes, I guess, you know. So, um, but it's okay because those notes that they gave me were really, really effective. And um, also, the one of the things was in the original draft, Millie was 20. And... Publishers were coming back saying, it's, you know, we love this, but as far as from a selling point, you know, where do we market it as? Um, you know, this isn't young adult and new adults, not really a thing. And the stuff that is, you know, you need to put a lot more sex in it because there's no sex in it. So, you know, this doesn't really fall within. And I was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. She's 20. Who cares? So the decision was, do I make her like 23, 24? But then some of the elements of like her going to like the school, you know, like like not going to a regular college, putting everything, it doesn't work as much, right? I need to like come up with a backstory. Like what's she been doing since high school, you know? To So I decided to make her um, a, a senior in high school, right? She's, she's 17. This is about a month before she turns 18 and two months before she graduates high school. So she's right at that kind of, um, you know, precipice of like, what am I going to do with my life, right? Making those big decisions. And she doesn't want to let, you know, this script go. And, and you know, and, and so she, um, and then I had to incorporate and retool it. So she's going to, um, 
pull off this elaborate heist on her spring break vacation. <laughs> so that was kind of another layer of complication, right? So, um, so anyway, so I, you know, I spent some time, did a, did a thorough rewrite of changing, you know, the character. And of course her high school too, I had to change their ages a little bit, which of course changed their motivations. Um, and then we started selling it again as a, as a YA. I think we were calling it something like, Oh, I, I hate titles. So we were calling it like heist flick, I think, at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so we rebranded re, re it as YA. We called it Breaking In. And um, we sent it to, I think, another like 10. And Blackstone loved it. And they said, yes, we would we would love to publish this. Um, and uh, yeah, so from there, they verbally made the offer uh, November, 2021. And I know that because the next day, um, was Thanksgiving. So I got to like tell my family, like, Hey, guess what? I, I, I awesome. sold a book yesterday. Yeah. It was so cool. It was <laughs> such a, it was such a cool Thanksgiving. So cool moment. So, um, you know, negotiated the contract, signed it February, 2022. That summer I did the editing, um, you know, they, they hooked me up with an editor. So it was kind of a difference, at least from how I thought of it is right. Like I always thought you sell your book to a specific editor, you know, at, with a publisher and with Blackstone, we sold it to a, um, business acquisition. I don't want to say specialist cause Rick is like the president of it, but he, I think he's like the president of like business acquisitions. His, huh. name, his name is uh, Rick Blywis. And, uh, he's also an author. He writes the, uh, Scorpion pinion series. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he, and I, I honestly don't think he even takes submissions anymore. So I think we just like found this little pocket, this little window where he was taking submissions and just fell in love with breaking in. Um, so from, so from there, they have like a head of, of editing. They assigned me an editor. Um, so her name is Sharon November. And so me and Sharon spent uh, the summer uh, editing, you know, trading back and forth. We had about three months to do it, three, four months, I think, something like that. And then that fall, I got to start seeing, you know, the different cover images. One thing that was really cool, which I, I've never heard of this before, but uh, I got cover approval, which a lot of times people just say, you, you never get that. You might hate your cover. There's nothing you can do. And um, because, so I'll say this with an asterisk, I, I totally hated the first round of covers that they sent me, um, but it was based upon some... Um, French new wave posters I had sent them as like inspiration. Cause like, I felt you felt this like information thing. And like, what do you see as the cover? I was like, something like this would be really cool. And then I saw what that actually looked like. And I was like, just kidding. I'm so sorry. I said yeah. that. So <laughs> I take the blame. I'm not, you know, blaming on them, but, um, so then we uh, started looking at some other like kind of like uh, crime novels and kind of like the similar vein and uh, secret identity by Alex Sugera, uh, came up. I just read that, you know, and that's about a, a woman trying to make it in comics in the seventies. And it's got kind of that comic book aspect where it's different panels of pictures. Um, and, uh, Colson Whitehead did the same thing for, um, Oh, what is, it's not crook manifesto. That's the sequel. Whatever the book is that, that, that came before that is escaping me at the time. But I took those two covers as inspiration and, and, and said, you know, could we try something like that? So that's how we came up with the cover. Um, it's like different images of like, you know, like a white van, um, walkie talkies, um, different stuff that you could use either making a movie or pulling off a heist. That's the whole thing, right? Like which one is which? Um, 
so I was really, really happy with that. I think they, they did a great job and they were very patient with me where, cause I think I made them send me over like nine different versions of the camera that's on front. Cause I was very specific on how I had to look. And anyway, they did a great job, but it was really cool that they actually allowed me to, to weigh in on that stuff. Um, yeah. And then we did like a, a Goodreads giveaway, um, you know, leading up to it and, uh, got some cool blurbs and yeah. And then it came out, came out in May. So that's been, that's been really fun. They set up a, you know, I did a signing at once upon a crime, uh, which is a crime bookstore here in Minneapolis. A lot of heavyweights go through there. So it was really cool to be kind of part of that and kind of, you know, sit where, where other, other greats have sat, uh, where the greats have sat, not other, I'm not putting myself in that category by any means. Um, and then I got to do another book signing at the Fargo Barnes and Noble, um, which is where I used to work in college. I was a barista there. So that was kind of fun. Um, like going back there, you know, and, and, and as, as an author, um, so yeah, and then I've been just doing um, these podcasts. I went to North Dakota today, which is like a local morning talk, you know, show um, uh, for North Dakota. And I've got another signing this weekend at Fitger's Bookstore in Duluth. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and they've helped uh, arrange that. Um, so I have a publicist through Blackstone, uh, Sarah Bon. Bonamino. Uh, Sarah's fantastic. She's also really patient. You'll, you'll notice a trend there when I say patient, because I have so many questions, you know, when this is my first time and I do say that a lot, but I say that like, I'm going to ask you a million questions, but forgive me. Um, but you know, I just, I, I, I want to know, like, how do they make these decisions and kind of what goes on into it? And so they've been really fantastic and working with me on, on all of that. And, um, there's a Twin Cities um, book festival that's like every October. I've, my wife and I have been going there for years. Um, and I just found out a couple of days ago that I'm going to be on a panel for that, that, that Sarah arranged. So things like that have been just incredible and just really cool to, you know, always be kind of a fan of the Twin Cities literary scene. And now they're, you know, helping me be a part of it. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's very cool. And it's so, it's fascinating to me to talk about, to talk to different authors and hear their experience, you know, getting into publishing. I mean, there's so many ways in nowadays, right? Because before, you know, when I was getting started, it seemed like the only quote unquote real way in was traditional publishing. You know, you get the agent, you get the publisher, you don't ask a lot of questions, you know, you just kind of do it. Right. Um, and it's so, it's, it's different now. And I love your point about picking the agent who is younger and hungrier. And I think that's really important for people to hear because I think so many people, especially, you know, not even just people getting started, even people who have been in it for a while, you know, we, we often, um, think that we can't, that we need the, the real heavyweight and we have to just take them at, take everyone at their word and they know best. And sometimes we forget that we're in charge, right. And we're right. driving our own career. And so I think it's such an important reminder to, to tell people that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, hundred percent would not have sold this book with, without chips, you know, help. I mean, he, you know, we submitted, I think to maybe like 20 publishers before we decided to make a YA, you know, and, and got a lot of positive feedback, but you know, I don't know how many agents would say, well, let's do this or, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep submitting it. But, you know, it was never a question of we're going to stop. It's, you know, you know, who next, you know, making and finding that right fit, And, you know, and now I look back at it and it was like, oh, well, Blackstone was, was clearly the, the best fit for what we were trying to accomplish with the book. Um, but it was really like the due diligence, right. Of, of not, you know, giving up And at the same time, you know, how you said kind of, you know, 
supposed to just kind of be quiet and, you know, and, and take people for, you know, what they're worth. I think maybe because Chip was newer or, you know, at the time, or it just, for me, I also, I let him know that these were the expectations that I had, right. That we don't stop. I'm not going to shelve this book, you know, like, um, you know, this, I, I think this is publishable. This is where we're at. And, and, you know, and he agreed with me, I'm, you know, there was never any point, but, um, if we had ever had that conversation, I think, you know, we would, I, it would have come to, but it was, you know, my objectives were always clear and he always supported that. So I think that is important is, is to find somebody that, that does um, support what you're trying to do. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, if things change and they're no longer, you know, supporting you in, in that matter, or you don't feel it's a fit, you know, this, this is business at the end of the day. Right. So, you know, if, if, um, you know, you get to a point where you want to be one author, one type of author and your, your, agents or your publisher or what what have you feel like you need to be something else you know i think it's on the author to, to to speak up you know um for me so like i mentioned earlier you know i have a day job i still have a day job me um, too and i'm yeah. 10 years in <laughs> yeah yeah and uh you know so I'm, I'm on my i'm on an early lunch right now um but uh you know i'm, I'm not gonna report you don't worry <laughs> thank you so but um uh, you know, when it comes to writing, I knew that I could get published. I didn't know if I was going to, I knew that I was, you know, the, the story was strong enough and, and I, you know, the desire was there. I just didn't know if it was going to become a reality, but at the same time, like, I don't want to trade one day job for another day job. Right. Or like, I'm going to be writing something that I, I don't want to write, you know, I've got a lot of ideas and some of them are young adults and some of them are more adult. Um, some of them are crime themes. Some of them are more thriller aspects. And, you know, I know that like, um, you know, a lot of times you get kind of put in these different boxes and stuff. So, you know, for me, when I, you know, I sold, or I found an agent breaking in 2019 came out in 2023 that's four years right so i I wrote two other books since then and we're going to be you know presenting them um putting them on submission uh this fall one of them is really in the same vein it's just it's just for adults where it's you know kind of those movie references um the other one's kind of drastically different and you know in some capacities that's kind of the writer that i'm hoping to become and kind of turn into and i think the audience will come with me um and, you know, that's just something where I think you need to make it known what, what you, you know, what you want to be. It's interesting. So like go, to go back to movies, I was thinking about this the other day about how like with writers, okay, so I'm going to jump between novelists and, and directors. So novelists really get kind of like pigeonholed, right? So like you're this kind of writer, you write thrillers, you know, mm-hmm. like Michael Connelly, Lee Child, right? These are the kind of books that you write. And like movie directors and writers aren't really that way, you know, like, okay, this is a big example and I understand that, but like Steven Spielberg, right? The, the, you know, the big guy one year he had, I think it was 1993. He had Jurassic park and Schindler's list come out. Could you imagine if like a writer was like, Hey, I'm going to write like Michael Crichton was like, Hey, I'm good. Here's Jurassic park about like dinosaurs coming back to life. And here's my Holocaust uh, novel too. You know, people be like, what? We can't do that. You know? And 
you know, I think it kind of stymies, I don't know, stymies us a, a little bit to say, like, you have to write in this one lane. And, and I don't know, that just doesn't sound fun, I guess. Yeah, and then, and then also know? to be told, like, if you try to break out, like, it's going to be really hard to, you know, veer out of that lane. And you're almost yeah. shut down before you start. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like, well, isn't that like marketing's job to like, yeah. yes. I don't know, you know, I just feel that like, <laughs> yes. I feel that like audiences would be, if they like a writer, you know, they would be more open to, to other types of stories. Now, you know, so my wife reads, uh, romantic comedies and, um, she's gotten into this and has done kind of some research into it and not because I gave her a hard time. I don't care what she reads. And, and there's a, I, there's one actually it was called romantic comedy by Curtis Steinfeld. I want to say we listened to the audiobook and it was very, very funny. Um, but anyway, so, but my wife has done some research on it and, and, you know, one of the reasons why people like romantic comedies and this is what it was, we went and saw Abby Jimenez, um, to a, a, an event here in Minneapolis. And it was like me, one other guy, and then an entire movie theater full of women. Um, she, <laughs> it was cool. She actually went to a movie theater for this book event. So, um, but one of the things, you know, why people love her books and, you know, um, romantic comedy so much. Cause at one point she was like, she was like, you know, talking about her characters and she's like, and I know at the end, you know, it's going to work out cause it's romantic comedy. You know, it has to, because that's the expectation of the audience. And I, you know, and it's kind of comforting to them, um, that there aren't big surprises, right. That, you know, like the world itself is, is full of too many surprises, you know, that people just want to read something that's, that's comforting. It's the same kind of reason why people love the Hallmark channel, you know, and always have it on, even though they've seen the movies a thousand times, it's that comfort factor, you know? So I totally get that. And I'm absolutely not, not knocking that. Um, but I think also, you know, surprises, different expectations, trying different things. I think a lot of readers crave that. And I think they would, they would follow authors to, to do more of that. So, you know, I'm not going to make a, you know, dinosaur resurgence and then a world war II Holocaust movie or, or book or anything like that. But, you know, I, I do want to be able to, to venture out and, and make it more about, you know, heisting teens you know i though i do have a, a fun idea for a sequel i think would be would be really great but i don't i don't think i want to make it a series i think i would make it a kind of a, a second book and i'd be kind of close that chapter but um but yeah i want to write you know kind of other different avenues and, and kind of explore and you know i love thrillers and you know would like to write more of that as well so to kind of go back to my original point i think it's on the author to to let their representation know like this is this is what i want to do and you know hopefully if they find somebody that's in the long haul and will support that and if they don't i think it's up to them to make the decision to find someone who would be totally and i think it's important for newer writers to hear that too like it's taken me a long time to kind of realize like oh you know i have to because i write cozies and it's the mm -hmm. same that same kind of world right where people want the justice at the end they want the the comfort like you said they want to know right. that everything's gonna be okay after all of the drama that's happened in the in the beginning but i also want to write thrillers and so my first agent you know lovely but Cozy was where he lived, right? And and that's where he felt comfortable and those were the people he knew. Mm -hmm. Um and so to move on from that, like you have to you have to realize that you have to find somebody and it and like you said it doesn't have to be the big hitter, right? Because sometimes they're not going to go to bat for a newer person. They're going to shelve a book pretty early. And 
for a newer writer coming in, I, I just, it, it bugs me to think that like they get a really great agent, they're excited about it and they have a really great book. And then they're told after a few submissions that they can't sell it. Mm-hmm. So, and then they have, you know, they have to put it away and forget about it. So, you know, what would you say to somebody like who's going through that? Yeah. I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, there, there is such a strong desire and, and, I, you know, even though it was four years ago that I, I sold Breaking In, I remember how strong the desire is to to get published, you know, and it kind of almost gets to the point of like, I wanted to get published no matter what. And that's just a, an attitude, I, you know, it, it's easier said than done, but really have a clear idea of the kind of career that you're hoping to have. Find an agent that's looking to support a career, not a book. You know, um, and, you know, you're talking about kind of the, the, the long haul because, you know, I know some great authors that have done a couple books and now they're unagented. They don't, you know, their last book, they could get published, their agent dropped them. They're not doing anything right now, you know, and that's scary, <laughs> right, yeah. to hear about, yeah, totally. you know, to, to even to, to think about. Um, but, you know, and, and some of these, you know, particular cases is because they didn't have those longer conversations or, you know, they were, didn't realize what they were getting themselves into, you know, at, at the beginning and, and, and what's kind of the, um, there's the, the legal contract, but there's also kind of the unspoken, you know, contract between the author and agent, right. And how this is going to work and, and, you know, what's, what kind of uh, contents and, and publications that they want you to produce. Um, so the biggest thing is, it's just, you know, if you do get to a point where, you know, you're lucky to, to have an agent, um, you know, make you an offer, um, don't be afraid to, to ask questions, you know? So this is going to come. So my day job is I've been, I've worked in recruiting um, for, for 12 years. So, this is where my day job comes in, right? When you're on a job interview, yes, you want the job and you're hoping that people will like you, but at the same time, you need to make sure it's a fit for you and you need to do your due diligence. You need to do your research. And at that you know, interview, you have to ask them questions. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, turn this into an hour where you're grilling this agent, but make sure I have a clear understanding of how this is going to work, um, you know, what is their plan of attack, you know, for, for submitting this, you know, like how many, you know, relationships do they have? How do they see, you know, kind of like, is this going to work? Like submit to five, if that doesn't work, go to a different tier, what have you. Um, and just, just fully, you know, bet them and to make sure that you understand when, when you, you sign that, you know, you're going to be happy with this, you know, decision a year from now, two years from now, whenever the book comes out, um, because, you know, it, it's, I think just a lot of people just get so caught up and there's a lot of, uh, validation, right. Yeah. To getting an agent. You're just yeah. like, Oh, I am good enough. I did yeah. it, you know, and you don't need an agent's offer to validate you to be a writer. If you're sitting on your computer for more than an hour a day writing, you're a writer. That's what, that's like the definition that that's what makes you a writer. Um, but I know what it's like to get that validation. It's awesome. It feels so good, right? When somebody besides, you know, your family (laughs) tells you that like, Hey, you've got some talent here. This is a good story. So I think it's, you know, don't, don't let yourself not enjoy those moments, but don't let those moments, you know, overcome 
rational thinking or your decision making and make sure that you are take a moment to celebrate you know um my wife and i we <laughs> we go uh what's it called we go to cold stone whenever mm-hmm. i get good news you know we go out for ice cream yeah. um you know when the book sold when i got an agent but uh you know when i got an offer we celebrated, but the next day I was on the phone with Chip asking a lot of questions. How would this yeah. work? That kind of thing, you know? So uh, that just would, would be my advice is um, talk to other other writers if you can. Um, you know, try to find out what their relationships with agents are. And then, you know, really just make sure that you, it's going to be somebody that you're going to be comfortable working with for, you know, hopefully a really long time. Yeah. It's a long game for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great advice. Thank you so much. Um, and congratulations on your book. Before we go, just tell Thank people you. where they can find you and find your book. Absolutely. My So my website has the links to all my socials. So um, just tylerschwanke.com. Uh, Breaking In is available uh, wherever fine books are sold. So you can get it on you know, Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Amazon. Um Preferably your your local independent bookstores. Um, if they don't carry it, they can certainly order it. Um, and then it's also available, you know, in ebook form. And then a big big push for the audiobook. The audiobook I absolutely love. So we have two narrators, uh, uh, Jesse Valinsky, and I feel like that's wrong. I probably said Jess. I'm sorry. I think I said your last name wrong. Uh, and then Patrick Lawler. Uh, but they are incredible. Um, so a lot of this takes place in Fargo and I didn't, um, I gave so much thoughts to the looks and stuff. I didn't think about the kind of accents that mm. some of the supporting characters would have. So, um, Millie's mom, uh, Deb Larson has like the best North Dakotan accent ever. It's just like everything, any of the dialogue, even if it's not funny, I, I was cracking up. Um, so it's just, it's a lot of fun to listen to. So yeah, plug for the audio book as well. Um, but yeah, otherwise, you know, like I said, um, right now it's out in hardcover, um, ebook, audiobook, And then I think in February, it'll, it's, it's when the paperback will be released. Awesome. And we'll put all your information in the show notes too. So people can find you. Awesome. Well, thank Great. you so much for being here. This was so much fun. It was, no, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much, Liz. Okay. Wasn't he awesome? I really want to stress what we talked about near the end too. So if you're a new writer or any writer really, but especially if you're a new writer and you're just finding your first agent, please remember to ask a lot of questions. You have the right to ask questions. You have the right to make your goals and objectives for your career clear. And if you really believe in your book, don't let someone tell you they can't sell it. Work with them to find another option because there's always another option. So, I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know, or head over to kateconti.com and send a message through my website. And definitely check out Tyler's book. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes so you can find them easily. Um, And yeah, if you want to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, I would love that too. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. 